Hey everyone, I'm Scott Cunningham, aka Scottsy Business, and today we're going to be talking about seven ways to protect yourself online in terms of cybersecurity. So the main things that we're going to be talking about are your passwords, emails, uh, utilizing security and privacy services, understanding social engineering, privacy and sharing your personal information, making new accounts, and how you actually use the internet. A lot of this is fairly obvious, but there's a lot of nuances in all of this. And um, in case you're wondering why I'm doing something about cybersecurity, it's definitely related to crypto and blockchain. And as someone who went to school for networking and IT security, um, I've always been practicing all of these kinds of things. And it's always been of the utmost importance for me. But I know that a lot of people don't really consider these kinds of things or get this nuanced with their online, you know, security and how they go about, you know, just using the internet every day. So I wanted to dive into all this just as a kind of, you know, public service announcement or, you know, just like helping people out who might not know even where to start or what problems they might need to even address. A lot of the times hacks and things like that are really just social engineering. We'll talk about what all that really means and uh, and we'll dive into the meat of all this. The two main things that I'm going to be spending the most time on are passwords and emails, because I think a lot of people get this stuff wrong or they just assume things are fine the way they are or, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to dive into all that good stuff after a quick word from my sponsor today. A big thank you and shout out to my sponsor, Cake Wallet, which is an open source, non-custodial Bitcoin and Monero wallet that also has a built-in exchange. It's available on iOS and Android. Okay, thanks again to my sponsor. So the first one that we're going to talk about are passwords. Now, most people reuse the same password on every platform they use, or they only have like one or two. Some people just have one, which is really, really bad. But um, you should have tiers of passwords for, you know, you're signing up for some random website you know nothing about, you don't trust it at all. This is some random giveaway or whatever. That's the password that you really don't care much about, but it's like your throwaway password. Then you've got like your social media accounts and things that do matter to some degree. But if there was ever an issue, it really shouldn't affect, you know, your finances or anything critical. But obviously it could be more important depending on what you actually do. I mean, if you're an influencer and you're making money off of your social media, you might want to have uh, separate passwords for certain services. The main idea here being that if someone got your password from one thing, they don't now have your password for everything else. And uh, there's many times where passwords get leaked, databases are hacked, whatever it happens to be. Um, I'll be showing you guys in just a second uh, where you can actually go and check if your passwords were leaked or if your emails were related to anything that was leaked, as well as how secure your password actually is. To manage all this stuff, it's easier to use a password manager because it's very challenging to remember all these things. Um, so I use LastPass and hopefully I will uh, get through their application process by the time I uh, post this and I can use a referral link. But otherwise, you know, just go and check it out. I, I've been using it for several years and it's been fantastic. Um, and it also works on your phone and your computer. So it's very convenient in that way. But Going beyond social media accounts, you need a separate password for just your email, a separate password for just your banking, 
and a separate password for just your other financial services like crypto and whatever. You should have separate passwords for all of them so that there's no way that if someone gets one on any of them that anything else is compromised. I've got about, you know, like a hundred passwords. So uh, we'll, we'll get into um, how you actually form the best passwords possible as well as checking your passwords for security. So I'm going to bring up passwordmeter.com. You can go here to essentially um, evaluate how good of a password you've actually got. Um, this is more for creating a very good password and making sure you've covered all the basics, but this does not cover um, exactly like how long it would take to break your password. So I'm going to share my screen. So here you can see all the stuff that they recommend. Of course, you know, you need all the basics of what most platforms will require from you. And then it'll give you a rating based on the password you type in. Most people assume that if you get all of these things down, then you've got a solid password. But I would I would disagree because, you know, you could just have some random password, just, you know, a bunch of random letters and things that are uppercase and lowercase. And then you've got a couple numbers and a symbol. Um, and generally, they would say, you know, you have a very, very strong password. It's not very easy to remember, though, just a bunch of random symbols and such. And it's not nearly as secure as a extremely long password, but the most effective way to make a long password that you can still also remember is using a specific strategy. So I'm going to bring up um, a website that allows you to check how secure your password is and how long it would take to hack your password. So this website, uh, which is security.org slash how dash secure dash is dash my password. Um, and essentially you can go on here. And like I was saying before, if I type in that same kind of just random characters, um, you know, a number and, you know, a, um, a special character, like an exclamation mark. Yes. This says 400 years. Uh, I don't think most people do all that stuff anyways, but, and 400 years sounds really good, but this is with like a very basic computer. I'm sure with the computing power we have today, people can do a lot more with brute force. Plus, if you had a bunch of people all working together, they could uh, brute force a password much more quickly. And while that does sound like it's very, very secure and very good, you can make something that is so secure that even a quantum computer would really struggle to ever actually crack your password. So while that was 400 years, um, that's still like one of the best ways to create a password that generally would be recommended to you. But the actual best way is to create three words that are completely random with at least three numbers and one special uh, symbol and then at least one uppercase. You can, you know, add things wherever you think makes the most sense. Like you could just uppercase the first letter of the words or wherever. But um, I'm going to show you the example that I'm going to put in the description, which is 471 girl rainbow bridge and the E on bridge is uh, capitalized. This would take 32 septillion years. So I believe a trillion is three and sept is seven. So it's, it's a number that no one can really barely anyone's ever heard of or seen or, you know, experienced in real life. But the point of this is that this is such a strong password that it's 
virtually impossible to ever break. And it's extremely easy to remember these passwords compared to just random characters, especially if you're doing what I recommended and creating uh, multiple tiers of passwords, right? Because that's generally what you should be doing. So the most effective way to create a password is to just have three separate words. And I guess I'll bring up a notepad to just sort of show you the thought process here. You can throw in your numbers wherever you can have at least one capital. You can have multiple capitals, whatever, but it's just having three words with some numbers and a capital and a special, uh, a special character. So similar to what I had there, four, seven, one exclamation girl, rainbow bridge. We can come up with something completely different, like, um, at symbol treehouse dog with a capital G, uh, fence. And then we'll do four, five, six, right? Fairly simple, easy enough to remember, especially if you're gonna have you know many different types of passwords like this. You just come up with something like this and it's so, so hard for it to ever be broken. This is slightly less good than the other one, probably because it's just a shorter word, uh, but this would be three sextillion years, which is the six versus the uh, seven. So this would be less secure, but still, so secure that it's basically impossible for this to ever be broken. I mean, once you're getting above like a trillion years, I think you're probably good. Um, so, you know, you can do variations of this stuff and figure out what's best for you, but you can go on here and check with security.org and I'll have this in, in this link in the description. And then this one is more so for giving you all the basics that you would need to include and just kind of, you know, seeing that in real time as you make the password. And then this is for just checking actually how long would it take to break your password? So I think that is very, very important. Uh, I'll stop sharing my screen, but that just gives you the basic idea of making a strong password. And again, it, it, you can have as many or as little as you like, but the more you have and the more separated out things are, that are, you know, distinctly different and not, um, you know, being used in multiple places and all that kind of stuff. It's going to make a big impact. Most people don't really ever consider this kind of stuff because realistically the way that you will actually get hacked is through social engineering. But as things get more advanced as, uh, you know, potential world war three comes around, I think there's going to be a massive increase in cyber attacks. And that's going to be one of the main focuses, um, from military uh, institutions. That's my guess. I've seen a massive uptick by looking at, I believe it's livethreats.com where you can see the amount of cyber attacks currently ongoing, but it is, there is a lot. Every day there's an insane amount of cyber attacks going on. So there, this is the best way that you can really secure your, your passwords and your, and your accounts. Moving on to emails. Using a public facing email for things that are unimportant is fine, right? Like I have a public facing email and it's just like related to my socials and I don't actually sign up with that email, but that's the email that I'll use for contact and all that kind of stuff. And it's not that important, but for my emails that are important that, you know, I'm accessing my social accounts with a specific email. I'm accessing my bank with a specific email. I'm accessing my crypto with a specific email. And none of those emails are the same email, right? Because 
again, if someone got access to one of them and it was the same email that I used for everything, then that's going to be very concerning because they can also use reset password, send it to your email and uh, get your passwords for everything basically as well. You also want to have a recovery email that is also separate from all of that as well so that um, you're not using like your bank email and your other email as a recovery for that. So then you're compromising that as well. You want that to be completely separate. So I generally recommend four emails. Um, some people think that's a little excessive, but you do what you think makes the most sense. I'm generally going to recommend four. And um, your email should never have anything identifiable to you where it's going to give people information about you. So like Scott Cunningham at email.com is a terrible email for my bank. That's fine for a public facing email that is unimportant, but for something that is very, very secure and important to me, and I don't want it to be connected to my identity in any way, because that is a risk, right? So you want something that is just gibberish or, you know, similar to the way that we were creating the passwords. You could do something like that, but for an email, um, just any way that it's not easy to connect who you are to the account, because, you know, if you can find out whose account it is, maybe you can message that person and ask, uh, you know, oh, what, you know, how's it going? Like, how's your dog? Oh, what was your first dog's name? Like way back in the day, I can't remember your first dog's name. And that's their security question, right? So if they can connect who you are to the account, it makes it much easier to then try to socially engineer you. And you're just putting yourself more at risk by doing these kinds of things. So a good example of an email could be similar to the password style that I mentioned. So here's an example, hillbrushpropeller at protonmail.com. No way for that to ever be connected to who you actually are. And, you know, no one would ever guess that's your email either. So it's very random. It's also important that you're using an email provider that is not going to, you know, cancel your account or do whatever. I used Google for a long time. And uh, at one point I was sending out a lot of emails for um, doing cold calls way back in the day when I was starting to do web services. And this was probably like eight or nine years ago. And um, when I was doing that, it like flagged my account. And then, and then basically Google shut down my email and more importantly, prevented me from accessing my Google Drive. So they basically like shut off my access to everything all at once. Um, and I couldn't even like cancel my Google payments because I couldn't log in. So it was very, very sketchy. Luckily, I got all that back, but it was very eye-opening to me that I don't really have much control over my email if it's with one of these larger providers. So I like something like ProtonMail um, because it's, you know, very free folk, freedom focused, very privacy focused, all that good stuff. I mean, there might be better email providers out there, but I think ProtonMail is a great one. Uh, again, don't use your bank, crypto or recovery email in anything public. And uh, it's always best to also go and check if your email has been leaked in a, uh, uh, a hack or anything like that. And if any connected passwords are also jeopardized because of that. I'm gonna share my screen again and we'll take a look at both avast.com slash hack check. Uh, and you can just type in your email and check there as well as 
haveibeenpwned.com. Uh, basically, they're both the same thing, but it gives you an idea if there has been any problems. So let me share my screen. All you really have to do is just type in your email and then check it. We'll just check my public facing email because I don't mind if you guys know about this since it's basically listed everywhere. There might be one or two uh, leaks that it was involved in, but it was for something I already I already checked this. So this definitely looks scary at first, but uh, they'll send you an email actually showing you what was compromised. And I believe for this, it was like something really pointless, like eight tracks or whatever. Um, so the importance of using a very low tier password on things that are unimportant or less secure is that the password that was um, breached in this leak was an extremely unimportant password of mine. And um, it really doesn't matter if anyone got that because all they would be able to access are, you know, really pointless accounts like eight tracks or whatever stuff that has no nothing compromisable on there. It was just like something that I used to access basic accounts for random things, mostly for viewing things, nothing that's actually important like financials or, you know, emails or social media or anything like that. So this is a great example of why you would have those tiered passwords, because, you know, even if you don't get socially engineered or, you know, accidentally click on a phishing link from a, some random email or whatever, you could still have the company accidentally go through a leak and your information is out there. So this clearly shows that that's possible. Um, and then here we'll also check again. And the beauty of this one too is, um, yeah, so the, this one will even show you some examples. Ledger went through an issue where they uh, basically exposed a bunch of emails and phone numbers and physical addresses and stuff like that which is somewhat concerning, but at the end of the day, um, no actual important information was leaked. And it's not like they even have information on like your actual ledger or anything like that, which is good because if they did, then that would be very concerning. So that was more so just like, you know, be aware of what's going on. I mean, this is good to even just give you some peace of mind as to knowing what is compromised and what isn't. And then uh, this social platform here, they did lose the passwords. So that actually is more concerning, especially if you had a really important password attached to that. Luckily for a website like this, that is uh, not very important to me. I used again, a very, very unimportant password. So it wasn't much of an issue that that was leaked, but this gives you the heads up that if there was an issue, you would go and change that password for everything that it's connected to. And it's easier to do that and actually see where that would happen if you have something like a password manager, because then you can just find all the places where you use that password and then go and edit that. So they, these are two great resources to be able to double check that kind of stuff. You can even uh, type in your, your phone number and see if there's anything connected to your phone. Um, so there's a lot of great things you can do with these services. So that's everything for passwords and emails. Again, these are the two most important things realistically that you need to really you know, take some time out to actually like upgrade all this stuff and, 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 you know, put all this stuff into practice. It's a little bit of extra work, but, um, I guarantee it will make all the difference for your cybersecurity. And these are the main things that you want to be wary of beyond that. 
um, you want to use security and privacy services where possible. So like, you know, using a secure browser, using a VPN where possible. I like Brave Browser because I can block ads and stuff with it. And that could also potentially mitigate some, you know, problems or at least lower your data usage. Um, you know, limit as many permissions as possible on social media websites or whatever. Uh, enable as many privacy options as possible. And uh, definitely use an antivirus software as well. I like Avast, but I'm currently using McAfee. Uh, because it's for it's free right now for me. So, you know, either of those are pretty solid. I mean, there's a bunch out there, Norton, all these different things. Um, honestly, most of them are pretty good. Uh, they'll generally want you to get their premium service, but I find that most of the time the free version is good enough. Um, but they'll always kind of like, if you do a virus scan on a VAST, it'll say, oh, you're unsecure because you haven't paid for the premium and there's a, these other things. I don't really worry about that too much. Every now and then just doing a pa a virus scan is is good and they give you general real-time protection when you click on something and it thinks, you know, that link is going to take you somewhere bad or there's a trojan or whatever. Generally, that can fix a lot of those problems. Also, obviously just having your firewall on and keeping your system updated. So, if there's ever an issue, generally they'll release a patch pretty quickly to fix that problem. So you want to keep your system updated to deal with issues like that. Although I will add that there's the rare, rare time that a new update could cause an exploit to be made available and cause the problem itself. But generally the updates are to fix exploits and, and patch security problems and flaws. Um, Understanding social engineering is very, very important. If this is the only thing that you take away, it's that it should be this. It's that most hacks and things that go wrong in terms of cybersecurity are just social engineering, which is simply tricking someone into doing something. So like when you get those emails um, that say, you know, click this link, this is very important, you know your taxes didn't go through quickly, click this link, or your MetaMask account is at risk, you have to click this to save it. All these kinds of things that create urgency and use mostly are phishing links, or they bring you to a fake website that looks the same or whatever it happens to be, and then they get your information. There's also a lot of other ways that uh, social engineering is done. I mean, that's just one example, but it could be as simple as like, getting your security answers from you by asking you questions or, you know, there, there's all these different ways that someone can just trick you just by talking to you and getting information from you. Uh, people will try to do this over the phone. Um, you know, you'll get, you'll get phone calls from like fake people from the government who need information for your taxes or else you're going to go to jail for tax evasion or whatever. There's all these different things that, uh, you know, malicious hackers will employ. I always say hackers in quotes because I barely consider social engineering someone a hack. And yet that is most hacks. Uh, I think it was like a year and a half ago when Twitter got, you know, hacked, quote unquote, was just tricking one person who had super administrative access to the whole system into giving up their information. And then the hacker was able to just go from there and do whatever they needed. The general idea of what a hacker is trying to do is compromise one, you know, account or link in the system and then find a way from there to escalate their privileges and access on the system. So 
They were able to find the person who had super administrative access on Twitter, meaning that they could go onto anyone's account. And then that's how they were able to post that Bitcoin scam, which I believe took several million Bitcoin from people because it was like, you know, Elon Musk, Barack Obama, and they were all posting on their Twitter saying, if you send Bitcoin or Ethereum to these addresses, I'll send you back double. And it was obviously just a massive scam. And again, that's also only going to happen on a centralized system. For example, on like Hive, there's no one who can just, you know, get backdoor access to my account and create a problem like that. So this is more so for centralized services, but that is what most people are using anyways. So it's good to just be aware of that. Privacy and sharing personal information. So as I said with your email, how it shouldn't be connected to you in any way or identifiable, it's it's similar where when you're online, you should be sharing as little personal information as possible, especially, you know, things related to like your security questions, like your mother's maiden name or your first pet or whatever, especially if you're using those questions, you should never be talking openly about the answers. You know, if someone's just bringing it up casually in conversation or whatever, um, if you're not public facing with your career, you, you're better off hiding as many things as possible, right? Like I share all of my financials and all that stuff, but it's part of my like content. So to some degree, it makes sense because I'm able to monetize by doing that. So I'm trading a little bit of my privacy for monetization, but for the average person, uh, it, there's no benefit to sharing your private information. You should be as, you know, uh, discreet and subtle as possible. And you should share as little information as possible anywhere that you can, right? For new accounts that you're creating, um, you should generally be patronizing platforms that don't have KYC that ask for the least information possible. Crypto is more so focused on non KYC. So there's a lot of crypto platforms and websites that don't require that kind of stuff but a lot of mainstream legacy platforms like social media and, you know, various things generally all require some form of KYC. So, you know, you can't get around that always, but if you can, it's recommended. Also, you should not be using the create account using Google or create an account using Facebook or create an account using Twitter or whatever, because you're giving way more access and you're connecting way more things to your social accounts and then if your social account was compromised, that's likely compromised as well. So you want to just, like I was saying previously with your passwords and your emails, you want everything to be in separate buckets so that if one thing is compromised, nothing else is affected. And the best way to do that is to always just be creating new accounts with um, with just like an email and a password and not relying on these services, even though they make it easier. Generally, when things are made easier, it's not just for free. It's at a cost of something somewhere else, generally privacy or security. And then lastly, how you use the internet is also very important for security. Uh, most people don't really consider this, but you should be using ethernet wherever possible, like as in plugging in and wired connection on a wired connection to your internet, uh, like your router to your PC or your laptop or whatever. You can even get... Um, something that plugs into your phone port, like a USB-C to ethernet adapter. I have one downstairs. I should have already grabbed it before this, but you can even do that with your phone or just, you know, don't use anything important when you're on your phone and use whenever you're doing any like financial transactions or whatever, do it on your computer that is connected via ethernet. 
the main reason for this, and I mean, A, it's it's faster so and more reliable. So like, you know, if you're streaming or whatever, it's going to be much smoother. Um, so, I mean, right there, that's way better. But more importantly, it's that Wi-Fi is so much more vulnerable. Uh, it can be easily tracked, much easier to hack people through your Wi-Fi or set up you know, a malicious router or whatever. There's so many ways that Wi-Fi can be compromised and uh, Ethernet basically solves most of those problems. It's very easy to get an Ethernet cord or cable. They're fairly inexpensive. It's more so just like if you are on the top floor and you don't have it like wired through the house, you might have to buy like a 100 foot cable or something like that, uh, which isn't super aesthetically pleasing, but you can always run it through like your vent systems or whatever you think makes the most sense. It's going to make a massive difference. I mean, even if not just for a faster, better internet experience, um, protecting you more when you're on uh, the internet and avoiding Wi-Fi generally where possible. And I'm so keen on this that I don't even have a like, Wi-Fi capabilities on my PC because I don't want anything to do with Wi-Fi touching my PC. I want it to be as secure as possible. And that is how I achieve that. That is everything. That is all seven of the main tips to be looking out for. I mean, this isn't the 100% end all thing because there's way more things that you can consider. And these might not be the best seven, namely social understanding social engineering. And that's how most ways that are people going to actually get hacked or, you know, have some sort of problem. And then emails and passwords are really the two most important things uh, that you should take away from all of this. Obviously, all of this matters, but, uh, you know, it's sort of listed in rank order based on what I think is the most important in the description. So thanks so much for watching. Let me know. Uh, am I wrong about any of this? Is there anything that I'm missing or do you think some of these things aren't as important? Again, I did go to school for networking and IT security for four years in university and I graduated. So uh, to a fair degree, I do know what I'm talking about. It's not just, uh, you know, my personal recommendations. This is also something that I studied. Um, so, you know, we, I have a bit of knowledge in this field and I don't really talk a lot about cybersecurity, but it is worth diving into and uh, getting more acquainted with if you want to keep your your assets secure, your online information, all that kind of stuff. It's becoming more and more important, especially with everything going on lately, that we do secure our identities and all of our stuff online. So let me know uh, if this was useful. Um, if you follow any of these already, if there's anything, again, that you think I'm missing or better services that you might recommend people check out as well, please let me know in the comments below. Anyways, that's everything. Um, also comment hashtag number one ham in the comments below. And that way I know you watched the whole video or listened all the way through for my podcast listeners. Thank you so much for watching slash listening. I'm Scott Cunningham, AKA Scotty Business, signing off. Cheers.